0: I'm going to pick up where Reverend Tedrick left off with the Canons of Dort, article, uh, Head 5, Article 12, and we're in one of the sections of the heads of uh, the Canons of Dort that talk a lot about assurance, and this is one of the great benefits of the Canons of Dort is that they talk a lot about Assurance. Um, one of the, one of the things that you see over and over again in the canons is that they relate the doctrines that they teach, um, to assurance. So when we talked about election, we talked about how that doctrine, um, should be thought of in terms of, um, assurance for God's people. So election helps us to be assured of God's love. Um, And then someone, you know, then the canons also ask the question, what if I don't have a sense of assurance? Does that mean I'm not elect? And you can see how that could really cave in someone's hope. Um, And so the the canons talk about the fact that just because you don't have a certain level of assurance doesn't mean you're not elect. Continue to use the means of grace and continue to think of the loving nature of our God. Uh, That a smoldering wick he doesn't put out, that a bruised reed he doesn't break, um, and so, you know, hope in that. So it's always concerned about relating doctrines to, to assurance. So election, we saw the Canons of Door do that. Um, it did it again in the third and fourth head of doctrine, uh, thinking about regeneration. So thinking, how does, how does the doctrine of regeneration, how do I think about assurance? Because in, they, they knew as pastors, someone will say, I'm not sure I'm regenerate. Therefore, I'm not sure I'm going to live. How do I know if I'm regenerate? Should I be looking for evidences that, you know? Should I be looking and be able to see regeneration in my life and anything that's you know an ineffable work of the Holy Spirit? If you try to look for evidence of it itself, you're not going to find it. But they said, what does re- what does regeneration always produce in God's people? It Produces faith. It produces a love of God. So don't look for re- regeneration for assurance. Look for what it produces. That's where you should look. Uh, for your assurance? Um, what about, you know, thinking about other people? How do we judge a regeneration of others? Well, we don't. We, we make charitable judgments based on what we hear them profess, what we see in their lives. Um, so again and again, this this concern with assurance comes up, and it certainly comes up with regard to the preservation of the saints. Um, how, do, how does this doctrine relate to assurance? And Reverend Tedrick led us through a few articles, but this is maybe where there are the most there is the most attention paid to the doctrine of assurance. We have several articles that talk about assurance, that think about assurance, and continue to think about this theme. So we're going to look at um, the fifth head of doctrine, um, articles twelve and thirteen today, um, and think of, continue to think about assurance and some implications of assurance for our doctrine of perseverance. Um, And one of the reasons that the Reformed hit this doctrine hard is because, as we heard last time, uh, this was a doctrine that was called a heresy uh, by the Roman Catholic Church, particularly in the Counter-Reformation. Reverend Tedra quoted from um, Cardinal Bellarmine saying, this is the principal heresy of Protestants, that saints may obtain to a certain assurance of their gracious and pardoned state before God. that was the first and foremost Protestant heresy that you can be assured of your state of pardon. Um, And that's because of the implications of Roman theology. Sinclair Ferguson put it this way, if faith needs to be completed by works, if Christ's work is somehow repeated, if grace is not free and sovereign, then something always needs to be done, needs to be added for final justification to be ours. And you can see if you have a theology where something always needs to be added, Um, where people always need to be adding things to their theology, then it's a very dangerous thing for someone to say, you're good, you're pardoned, you have favor with God. Um, Because they're thinking, well then, how will they continue to apply themselves to the grace of the church? Um, The Arminians also argued, um, kind of from a different perspective, that it will create a certain amount of carelessness in how you live. If you're assured that you're forgiven, it'll lead to carelessness of life, particularly if someone is involved in a serious sin. Uh, they commit a serious sin, they're told that you are pardoned, you're forgiven. They said, won't that person then be inclined to go back into that serious sin? Won't they have a certain you know, carelessness with regard to sin if they can be sure that that can be forgiven? And that was something that the Arminians were arguing and something that the Reformed wanted particularly to talk about when it when it came to the preservation of the saints. Why assurance, assuring that you are assurance that you are going to be preserved till the end, um, does not act against the piety that God requires. So, if we look at Article Twelve, it deals with insur- assurance, not insurance. Assurance as an incentive to godliness it actually says being assured provides you an incentive. To being godly. It doesn't work against it. It actually works for it. Assurance produces humility and piety. That that's how the scriptures argue, and that's how we should think about these things. So if you want, turn with me, um, in God's word, to Ephesians chapter 5. I say if you want to. I'll read it whether you want to or not. Um, This isn't a democracy. Um... (laughs) <laughs> um, so I'm going to read this. And, I, and notice where Paul starts before getting into uh, what they are to do as, as, as Christians. So I'm going to read, picking up in the sort of the middle of chapter 5, verse 8. Well, it's the middle of a thought, beginning of verse 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Think about that as a statement. Isn't that a wonderful statement of assurance? This is what you were, and this is what you are. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And after saying that, then what does he say? Walk as children of the light, right? For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. out of reverence for Christ. Um, You'll notice what happens in that passage. 5.8 is a statement of assurance. And then what flows from this statement of assurance? All these verses on how to live a Christian life. Now it would be a strange thing if assurance detracted or somehow operated against piety for you to begin a call to piety with a statement of assurance. Um, If assurance leads you to be careless, then why would you start with a clear statement of assurance and then lead to all of these ways that we need to keep the law? All of these ways of living a Christian life. So assurance doesn't detract from piety, it's actually the basis from which we can go to any humility or piety. And that's what Article 12 is really arguing. This assurance of perseverance, however, so far from making true believers proud and carnally self-assured, is rather the true root of humility, of childlike respect, of genuine godliness, of endurance in every conflict, of fervent prayers, of steadfastness in cross-bearing and in confessing the truth, and of well-founded joy in God. In other words, we can't overestimate the power of divine grace and the work of the indwelling Holy Spirit in our lives when it comes to the pursuit of holiness. Um, I think that's what really happens when people say, well, if you're really assured of the work of God in your life, how will that promote godliness? It acts as if you're the only one working towards godliness as if you don't have the indwelling Holy Spirit, as if you don't have the grace of God operative in the life of the believer that is making us holy. Um, The sanctifying work of the Spirit is our hope. And when you say, well, won't assurance detract from that? It's like saying, well, somehow assurance take away the power of the Holy Spirit, take away the efficacy of the grace of God. Uh, No, that, that clearly can't be the case. Everything flows from that work. And we see the Bible arguing that way time and time again. Think of 1 John 3, 2 and 3. Beloved, we are God's children now. Okay, is that an assuring statement? Everyone's like, this sounds like a trick question. You, su- you suspect me of a lot. I gotta be honest with you. I feel a lot of suspicion coming from you. Um, that's a statement of assurance, right? Um, we are God's children Now. Um, there's, no, there's no qualifying that. John says that's who we are. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him. Is that an assuring statement? Thank you. I appreciate that. Someone's just launching out in trust. I appreciate that. Um, yes, right? We are God's children now. Well, I will be one day. I'm not yet. But when he appears, I will be like him. What could give God's people greater assurance than those kinds of words, right? I will be like him um, because we shall see him as he is. And then what follows? And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure, Um, lives a life of holiness, lives a life dedicated to God. Far from being a detractor, it's a motivator. The one who hopes in this purifies himself as he is pure. Um, Or we can think of Psalm 116, verses 12, 17 through 19. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? Right, That's someone who's reflecting on all the benefits that have come to them in the Lord. That's an assurance that I have all these benefits in God. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. When I reflect on all the benefits that have come, what is, what is the natural reaction of the Christian? What shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits to me? I will pay my vows. I will praise his name. I will offer thanksgiving to him. That pours forth from the assurance of where we stand with God. That's why the Kansas Doctrine Article 12 go on to say, "Reflecting on this benefit, the assurance of preservation or perseverance, provides an incentive to a serious and continual practice of thanksgiving and good works, as is evident from the testimonies of scripture and the examples of the saints." Um, think about the the whole chapter on the on the heroes of the faith from hebrews eleven they were they were sure of things they did not see, and what did their lives that were that were sure of things that they did not see were they were they lives of piety were they lives of humility were they lives of willing to sacrifice everything for the sake of the lord right that's that 's the famous you know section at the end where You know, as any good preacher does, he says, "I'm running out of time. I've told you about everybody—Samson, Jephthah. You know, he's just going through—and then talks about all the things they did, all the things that they were willing to endure, receiving back people from the dead, willing to be sawed in half. All these people of whom the world was not worthy. Why? Because they had their eyes fixed on things that they didn't yet have, but hoped for. They were assured of those things that they didn't see, and it produced piety. It didn't produce carelessness." It didn't produce laziness. It didn't produce loose living. It, 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 it provided dedication. Um, they were sure of the things they hoped for, and they lived it out in their lives. The assurance that God will preserve us does not lead to make us careless. It makes us more grateful. And gratitude is a great motivator. People always are undervaluing gratitude as if duty is a greater motivator than gratitude. Um, no, no, you have to always remind them of their duty. That will really drive them to do. Um, And, and, you know, as I hope we saw this morning, the call of God is fundamentally both wanting us to live, but also wanting us to be happy. He's not calling us to a bare duty. He's calling us to a joyful life. Um, And he knows that's only found in him. Um, And that's what God is calling us to. And that's what gratitude motivates better than anything else. And that's what I think people have a really hard time for thinking gratitude is a better motivator than other things. But when we look at the Psalms, you know, if if Psalm one sixteen reflects on all that God has done, what what is the conclusion that is is wrung from the psalmist? What can I render to the Lord for all of His benefits to me? Um, I won't, you know. So it, it does follow; it's scriptural, but it's so hard for us um, to, to, process and to really, uh, to really agree with that. But it so clearly is how they, how they lived, how they wrote, how they preached, how they argued. Um, and so we shouldn't shy away from those things that are scriptural, um, and, and, and then try to come up with our own excuses why those things aren't right. Um, you know, sometimes it's best just to listen to what God says. Um, actually, all the time it's best to listen to what God says. Strike that from the record. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, that's no good. Um, but we have a hard time doing that. And I think in part because the law is written on our hearts. We, we're just so programmed to do this and live, don't do it you die, that we, we just can't sometimes get away from that and, and realize that free grace will motivate us in a way that um, we could never live according just to the law on our own. Um, so that, that is something that scripture teaches, but was denied by both, by both Roman Catholics and Arminians at the time and what the reform wanted to really hold out to God's people. The assurance of, of perseverance will not cause us to be careless. It actually will promote, it'll be an incentive to true piety as God's word points out. So are there any questions about that or any thoughts? Yeah, it can be a vicious cycle, right? You, you doubt, then you think, I shouldn't doubt. That's worse even yet. It's, and you, you, you go down like that. And that's why we need the gospel preached to us from the outside. Um, it, we try to say, you know, we should preach the gospel to ourselves every day. But sometimes we need the gospel preached to us from outside. We need to be hearing that authoritative word from the Lord. When I doubt what he says about me, that his, his word is still true. Um, and sometimes those deep theological truths we need to, we need to have penetrate into our hearts. Um, you know, I was reading a reformed theologian talking about the, the decree of justification and say, you know, when God makes his decree from his throne of grace that you're justified, you are right with him through his son. What he means by that is now no one in the world can say different because he has spoken as the king of glory. And he said, no one in the world can say differently when he says you're right with him. And you shouldn't say it to yourself either. Um, you know, and I think sometimes the king has to come to us and remind us who the king is. And say, you know, so when, when we say, well, I don't feel loved, he comes to us as a king and says, I love you. You are loved. Um, and everything about, everything about the, the canons of dort show us that we're loved. The Father loved us enough before the foundation of the world to make a plan to save us. The Son loved us enough to come and say, I will enter the world and save them, knowing what it will cost me to save them. But I love them enough to do it, to lay down my life for sinners on the cross, knowing what that will cost me to be made sin for them. I'm willing to do it because I love them. Um, And he, he accomplished our salvation because he loved us, and because he loved us, he said, well, I'm going to go to heaven to intercede for them, but I don't want to leave them alone. So I'm going to send my spirit to dwell with them, to remind them of everything I taught them, that I love them. And he's going to dwell with them as a guarantee of the inheritance that they will one day inherit. And so I'm going to preserve them in this until it's, until it's consummated in glory. So I love, you know, that's why, you know, Jeremiah 31, three is a great verse. I've loved you with an everlasting love. That if we, if we look backwards into eternity, God has loved us. And if we look forward into eternity, God will love us. Um, we need that word to be spoken to us sometimes when we doubt. And the scriptures tell us that there are times we are going to doubt. Um, and we need to look to those specific instances of where God has shown his love. Um, you know, the Psalms kind of teach us that. When I'm feeling bad in the present, what do I do? I think back to the past about what God has done. Psalm 77 is a good example of this. I'm feeling bad now, what do I do? I think about the, the work of the Lord that he's done in the past, how he showed his love for his people and his great redeeming works, and they didn't yet have the greatest redeeming work, which was the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to give himself on the cross. And now we can look back to the cross as that great, that great sign that he loved us enough to die for sinners. So we, we can doubt, and that's why, you know, that's why talking about assurance it said, you know, you can you can be regenerate and not be as assured as other people are. And so, what do you do? You continue to apply yourself to the means of grace. It says the means of grace will continue to preach that truth to you, continue to tell you you're a saved sinner. Um, and what what else will that help remind us is that God is a loving God. Um, you know, I, I always like the pastor who said, God is not a drill sergeant standing at your bunk saying, "Not good enough." You call that a shiny belt buckle? You call that a a bunk? You know, he's not doing that. Um, what, what is our God like? He's, he's a God that doesn't break bruised reeds. He's a God that doesn't snuff out smoldering wicks. Um, he's a God who binds up the weak. Um, all those things that we, we prayed from Psalm 145 and 146 this morning. Um, that's the God who we have. And we need to be reminded that that's the God who we have. Yeah. duty and, and gratitude because uh, particularly I find myself a military man understanding duty very right. well. Doing good works because of duty or versus doing good works because of gratitude. I just need to hear that. it. Okay. Um, yeah, we, we believe that sometimes if that, that duty will be the, the better motivator. That if I realize I have a duty to God to do this, I will... I will see my duty and I will do my duty. Um, and that duty will motivate me in, a, in that way. And so people worry that if you take away the duty to earn your salvation, that somehow you're, lo- you're left now with no incentive for godliness. Um, but if we're left with duty, then we have to be honest about the duty required in the scriptures. The duty required is perfect duty, right? So you can't fail in any respect to do your duty. Um, And that's one of the things that Luther really struggled with as he tried to live a really pious life, motivated by duty. I'm going to do what God has called me to do, is the more he tried to do that, the more he realized how expansive the law is, and the more he realized how much he transgresses the law, and what duty led him to do was hate God. Because he said, you've established this duty I need to do, which is a perfect duty, and I can't do it. And now what I'm actually starting to do is resent you for putting a duty before me that I can't keep. Um, And so usually what we need to do to have a duty to feel comfortable about is something that we can do. Now, military orders, you tend to give guys orders they can actually do, unless you're messing with them, right? Like, go give me a 1,000 yards of flight line. Um, I have military friends that tell you about all the pranks they pull on you when you don't know any better. Um, That's not the kind of, we're talking about duties you can do, right? Um, The duty to be righteous is a duty we can't do. Not anymore. Um, And so it's be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. I can't do that duty. And so people think that's going to be a motivator. But what it actually will do is show you, I can't get right with this God. And I think that's what Luther really experienced. I can't get right with this God. And he said, what that actually made me do is start to hate him. Because he said, here's this God who says he wants this from me, but I can't do it. Um, and, and he said it was such freeing to, to know, you know, there's another kind of righteousness. There's a righteousness that comes not from doing, but from what Christ has done. A righteousness is actually the righteousness of God that's given to you. Um, you know, I, have I've sometimes said with people who have trouble with this, you know, if someone gave you, you know, a billion dollars, just walked up and said, I'm going to give you a billion dollars you know, life-changing money. Um, and then, and then some part... Amen? Okay, yeah, all right. Thank you. Yeah, now you're here for me. All right. Um, where were you back with the assurance stuff? Um, no, but, right. So someone comes and gives you just this windfall that, that just is life-changing, could just, you know, it, especially if you're deeply in debt, you know, imagine. You just, all of a sudden, it's just, you're out from under. It'd be like saying, well, how are you gonna, how do you know that person will be thankful? It's like, well, by the nature of the case, if I'm deeply in debt and someone just bails me out, how could I not be thankful? Uh, It just naturally flows. So gratitude is actually a much more powerful motivator than duty, especially when we understand what we really have been, what we have received. We've received forgiveness of sins. We've received eternal life. We've received that which we could not in any way earn for ourselves as a free gift. And all we're asked to do in response is trust we've received it. Um, it feels like duty will motivate us better than gratitude, but actually it's a more powerful motivator. Yeah, I would say it's especially, you know, right out of gratitude, please go make your bed. <laughs> you say that's not going to work? <laughs> so, um, your children are sinners too, right? Um, not just yours, everyone's. Um, so I think that's part of, we have, we have to understand the duty as God puts it to us and the gratitude for our salvation. Um, we also do need the law. I mean, the law does not cease to function in the life of the Christian, right? We need to be reminded. Um, but we also need to be reminded that I, I need the grace and the help of the Holy Spirit to even show gratitude or right. Um, so I never, I still need help even to show gratitude. Um, so we don't wanna totally dismiss all of our duties but we're not trying to earn favor from God, right? Um, It would be a different thing if I was as a child trying to do things for my dad, hoping I could make my dad love me, right? That would be a much sadder way to be trying to live. Maybe if I do these things, then my dad will love me. Um, I can do those things better when I know he loves me. And what I knew my parents appreciated the most when I grew up, not that I did it a lot, but stuff where they didn't have to ask and I just did it. I never understood that from my mom you know, she would say, wash the dishes. Or, you know, didn't you see the the sink was full of dishes? You couldn't have just washed them. And I said, well, I'd have washed them if you'd asked me. Well, I don't want to have to ask. Just It'd be nice if you just did it. Well, because just doing it would say something different, right? It, it would it would send a different message um, than just doing it because you've been asked to do it. It would show that I wanted to do this to help you. Um, so we can even understand it a little bit like that. but. Yeah, children need training, and so sometimes you have, they have to be reminded of their duty. Uh, and I don't think those two things are at odds. Yeah. Are they at odds? Did I? Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, could be. Yeah. All right. All right. see no other objections um, to things I've said. <laughs> Um, and that's why Article 13 then, then wants to go on and say assurance is no inducement to carelessness either. Um, if you've entered in, someone say, okay, well, that, I can understand how that would operate generally. Um, but if we're going to, what about someone? We already talked about people who enter into serious sin. If someone enters into a really serious sin and they're assured that they're forgiven of it, will it not create in them an incentive to do worse again? Um, Okay, so maybe that's okay for, for people generally, but what about people who really enter into serious sin? Won't that be an inducement to carelessness? If they can be assured that their really serious sin is forgiven, um, won't that just open them up to commit serious sin again? Um, and looking at the clock, maybe I shouldn't get into this, um, but I think what we want to say is assurance after serious sin produces more care in the future, not less. Um, and that I think also is a testimony saying, so why don't we leave that Till the next time. Because um, Reverend Tedrick will still be gone and I'll be able to finish this up. So why don't we leave Article 13 um, to next time. Are there any other questions about what we've, we've talked about? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, love is the motivator for, for doing the duty. Yeah, I mean, you can talk about that in parenting and being a good spouse. I mean, you know, that if your spouse comes and says, well, you know, I made that promise in front of people that I would honor you, so I'm gonna, I guess I'm gonna have to do it. Um, <laughs> it's, my du- it's my duty. Um, you wouldn't, you know, start writing Hallmark cards about that couple, right? I mean, it, you would understand that's a really poor substitute for doing these things because you love the person and want to make that commitment to them. So, um you know, now when things aren't going swimmingly in marriage, sometimes duty can be the reminder that I still do have a duty, even though I'm not feeling the love right now. But um, I think we need just to be careful when we're talking about other kinds of things and our duty before the Lord. Um, our duty before the Lord is perfect obedience. Um, and unless we offer him perfect obedience, we can't offer obedience that is sufficient to do our duty. Um, we are freed from that by Christ coming and doing our duty in our place and giving us his merit. It's imputed to us. So now we are reckoned by God as if we did the duty as perfectly as Christ did it. Um, That's crucial for our justification for understanding our, our being right before God. Um, We can't necessarily take that and transmit that to all other relationships and, and hope for that analogy to hold up. Um, so, I want to be careful that we don't just completely misalign categories. We have a theology, theology professor here who we're glad he's back. Um, does that sound right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Oh, good. Okay. That's helpful. Thank you. So I'm going to let Dr. Horton have the last word. Lest I say something and upset the apple cart and get Reged to change sides on me again. Um, All right, let's, uh, let's close our time with prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for both the law and the gospel, for your will clearly proclaimed in your word about how you would have us live and the promise that you have rescued us from our sins by the work of your son. We thank you that you have enlivened our wills to Pursue the things that you love, that out of a desire to show our gratitude to you and to glorify your name, we do, do good works that are born out of our true faith, um, that we look to your law to, for conformity in our good works, um, and we seek to do them so that you would be glorified, so we might show our thanksgiving to you um, in the great thanksgiving for what you've done for our souls and the sending of your Son, And we pray that we would continue to look to your law as a guide for moral living. Uh, We know that is what's pleasing in your sight, but may we never try to earn your favor, but know that we have it in Jesus Christ by grace through faith in him. So Lord, help us to balance this aright so that we live our lives in, in proper service to you, doing what is delightful in your sight, so that we might honor and glorify you. Help us to continue to grow in grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, and hear us, we pray in his name. Amen. All right, thank you. We'll take this up again next week.